welcome to the podcast and thank you for tuning in. In this episode, I talk to Patrick Davies, a councillor for many years on Winchester City Council and the Labour parliamentary candidate for Winchester for two general elections. He is immensely experienced in local politics and I really enjoyed talking to him. Now, what I really wanted to focus on in this conversation was the wider economic context of homelessness, which I think is very important. I finished the last episode with Paula Ferguson talking about how we need to focus on prevention as much as we do the cure to homelessness. And the fact is that rough sleeping and deprivation are defined by wider policy issues like housing, the health and social care system, the increasing precariousness of employment. So this was a fascinating conversation and I really hope you enjoy listening to it. As I say, you served as a councillor for many years and during that time, what was your experience of how big a problem homelessness was and how effective the council was in tackling it? I mean, has anything changed uh, in recent years? Well, housing has always been a key labour issue in all the time I was a councillor. In fact, the very first council meeting I attended millions of years ago, well, 40, coming up 47 years ago, um, the Labour group put down a motion on housing because it was such a key issue and we didn't feel at the time that it was being properly dealt with, uh, wanting it to become a priority for South solving the housing problem. I mean, it goes back a long, long way. House prices in Winchester have always been very high uh, historically, and therefore there's always been enormous pressure on providing housing for the full range of people across the board. Um, So it's always been a priority. I think homelessness in the way it exists now is um, comparatively new in the sense that people have always been and in need of housing, but the sight of homeless people on the street is a comparatively recent event. And certainly I find it very distressing when you see in shop doorways, even this very week, despite everything that is supposed to have been done, uh, people in shop doorways in the high street um, begging, presumably having nowhere to go. Uh, and I know that the government and the councils have been required now to commit themselves to solving this issue, to uh, the commitment to end rough sleeping. But whether it's actually effective, only time will tell. Certainly uh, in the current emergency, the government and all local authorities are required to find a solution and generally speaking uh, the claims are made that 90% I think of all rough sleepers have now been given uh, accommodation by local authorities but the fact that that's been possible in just a few days or at least a very few weeks uh, says to me that this could and should have been solved long ago. I think the next problem is going to be what happens when the current emergency is over. Um, One doesn't want to see uh, people back on the streets again. I I imagine we will see some statistics about how that temporary problem has been resolved. I hope it can become a permanent solution. 
but time will tell whether that happens or not. Yeah, the um, the mayor of um, Manchester, Andy Burnham, has sort of been criticising the government's um, everyone in scheme because it because it, it only applies to homeless people already known by local authorities. So there's sort of the, so he's been saying there's potentially this quite large number of um, of homeless people who just aren't being accounted for in the system. Yes. I think that's right. I mean, one of the difficulties is, is what, how you define homeless. Uh, people I was just talking about were the visibly homeless people who were sleeping in shop doorways. But of course, the pressure has been on to provide accommodation for people, often with other issues, other problems, mental health issues. Uh, but the whole provision of affordable rented accommodation has become critical in, in in this country and certainly critical in, in the Winchester situation where, as I say, house prices are so high. In your experience with constituents, what have the main causes of homelessness been and what has success really looked like in your experience in helping uh, vulnerable people escape rough sleeping? Yes, uh, I mean, I think you, you know the situation. In a sense, Winchester is quite fortunate in the sense that they're there is the um, night shelter, there is the Trinity Centre and the facilities they provide. And I know that there's an ongoing issue there. The councillor recently made uh, a grant to um, the Trinity for providing some new accommodation for, for previous rough sleepers. Um, but of course, as I understand it, the councillor provided £50,000 towards a scheme that is going to cost, uh, I think, some millions. So it's a fairly small contribution. It does require a huge amount of, of voluntary contributions uh, from the, the, the private sector, from willing volunteers who are going to come up with the funds. Now, it doesn't seem to me right that we are dependent on uh, charitable giving to find accommodation for people who are homeless. And that has become, I suppose, in Winchester, you're more likely to find people with, you know, spare cash to give for this sort of thing. But it doesn't seem to me right that that's the way that these issues should be resolved. Yeah, definitely. It's like they're putting sort of a sticking plaster over over really an endemic issue sort of related to so many wider problems, yes. like the uh, yes. lack of affordable housing inequality and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the simple issue is in in this country generally. There isn't nearly enough um, affordable housing for to meet the needs. Uh, the you know if you've got money, you can buy a house, no problem. But large numbers of people uh, just will never be able to afford to buy houses. And we need to have a totally different attitude, in my view, to housing. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, it's become. I mean, I'm a case in point. I'm not. Uh, untypical of my generation because I was able to afford to buy uh, a house when houses were by modern standards comparatively cheap uh, but they weren't they didn't seem so at the time but very few people of, of your generation and, and subsequent generations are in the same fortunate position and I think the the attitude that housing is a personal investment that is going to make you money which has been, I think, the, the, the problem in this country, 
that it, it's been regarded as, or if you get on the housing ladder, that very phrase, the housing ladder, has always irritated me. The idea that you get on the housing ladder and then you're made for life and you end up with a, a, a valuable asset. Well, that shouldn't be what housing is all about. I think other countries have a much more civilised attitude to housing. The fact, I mean, I haven't got the figures at hand, but I think in, in Germany, a very sort of prosperous Western country now, but I don't think anything like the same proportion of people own their own homes or feel they need to own their own homes. I mean, I would have been quite happy just to, I did rent for, a, for some time. And I think security of rent, rented accommodation is something that in the private sector in this country is a nightmare still. Uh, and that's why local authorities and housing associations have, have done such a, a valuable job. But for a long time, much of my lifetime, it was regarded as, oh dear, it's, you're the bottom of the heap if you're going to have council housing or private rented, you must buy. And I think it's that attitude that needs to change for good. But actually, I mean, even in Europe, the attitude that we sort of have towards housing where we sort of idealise home ownership, it is sort of a weird sort of obsession in this country. But, but, but actually, yes. I mean, if you look at young people, you know, hopefully attitudes are changing. I mean, particularly as, you know, house prices are so much, have sort of increased so much relative to uh, average earnings. I think it's a problem particularly for young people and also just for, you know, just for ordinary working people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's really sad is to see that the area that I was a councillor for for a long time, um, largely the Stanmore estate. When I was the first councillor there, the, the, all the council houses were rented by local families. Now, I don't know the proportions currently, but uh, my hunch is most of the council houses have been sold. Initially, of course, they was tended to be sold uh, to the residents, the previous tenants. For them, their own personal situation, it was a bargain. They were able to buy the house in which they lived as a discount. But, you know, 20, 30 years on, what has happened is that all those initial purchasers of the houses in which they've been living as tenants have long ago sold up and moved on. And the bulk of those houses are now multiply occupied, um, not just by students, but some of them have been broken up into flats, uh, others are um, shared accommodation. But the, although they're better maintained than some parts of the country, the fact is that it, it's a sad reflection that what were once family homes for local people are no longer that. And they're just, they're largely now owned by comparatively few number of private landlords who've obviously made an absolute mint out of this exercise and are now letting them to four five six seven um, individuals in those previous council family houses and uh, the whole that's made the problem worse of course in a place like Winchester because it's reduced the stock of, of um uh, rented accommodation, good quality rented accommodation for local people. As demand for, has surged for local authority services, do you think local authorities need more support and, and funding from central government than they're already getting? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole system has changed dramatically. I mean, in those Labour years, there was criticism that there wasn't enough um, 
emphasis on building new uh, rented accommodation. And I think that criticism was fair. But what was done was a huge investment in upgrading the existing council housing. Um, again, Stanmore, which was uh, built initially, the first parts were built immediately after the first war. And it was then built uh, in, in various stages uh, into the um, late 40s, early 50s. So it needed massive modernization. And the funding from the Labour government from 97 onwards enabled that to happen. And that was a tremendous boon because it gave fresh um, facilities for the people living in those houses, new kitchens, bathrooms, and all the rest of it. The, the problem um, now is, of course, that the, an awful lot of those that were modernised by public funds have now been sold off. Um, remind me, coming back to your main point there, was about funding for local authorities. And of course, it is wholly inadequate. I mean, I again, haven't got the figures at hand, but the, the cuts in funding to local government have been absolutely astronomic um, since the uh, Conservative and, and Conservative Lib Dem coalition have been in power. So that everything is starting from a really low base. And the way that local government funding now works is, is very different from the days I mean, I, I ceased being a councillor in 2006. And since then, things have got dramatically worse. And the budgets of local authorities are so uh, degraded that to give priority to anything is very difficult. Uh, and, uh, you know, the sort of fundamental things that councils have to do, like you know, rubbish collection, very important. Um, and county uh, sort of highways uh, and so on and so forth and, and county social services massive needs in, in that direction the amount of money that local authorities district councils in our case for, for housing are, are so so limited that it, it makes the problem even worse it's interesting you bring up Stanmore at the time wasn't that sort of idealized really I think there was a there was an exhibition in the Tate, wasn't there? Or something like that, because it was seen as this amazing sort of... It was a, a modelist state. Yeah, when it was first um, built, in fact, there's still a plaque, which I showed to somebody not long ago, on one of the trees in, in Cromwell Road in Stanmore, because the then Prince of Wales, who ended up as momentarily Edward VIII, um, planted a tree and the little first phase of development in 1922 or three, I think it was, shortly after the First War. And it, an it was an amazing estate. I mean, things happened there that you can't imagine now. Like, they actually did a, a, a new side off the railway line to deliver materials to the site. Can you imagine that happening now? Because in no way it could, physically or in any other sense. But it was, it was such an important issue to to rebuild a city, you know, a small city as Winchester was after the first war and provide accommodation for the local people in good quality new housing and a well-designed estate. With communities clubbing together in this sort of, some have called it like a wartime spirit, but I'd like to get your yeah. thoughts on this. I mean, figures from the Trussell Trust uh, last week saw an 80% increase in emergency food parcels 
uh, in the two weeks of March compared to the previous year. How does, in your view, the response from the community compare with the response from the government? Well, this is one of these different... I'm always in a bit of a quandary on everything to do with voluntary activity. I mean, I've been involved in all manner of voluntary groups over the years, uh, and I would encourage them. But what I'm always nervous about is if voluntary activity is is taking away the responsibility from government, um, yeah. centrally and, nas- and, and, and locally, to provide the services for which they're statutorily obliged. And it's, it's very easy to encourage voluntary uh, activity and then think, oh good, we don't now have to do it out of um, tax. Uh, and so that, that's sort of my starting point. But having said that, I mean, the, the, in a sense, it's uh, good that people are so willing to contribute to, to help people in greater need locally. And certainly the food bank, I mean, the, the, the local Labour Party has the last few years regularly made significant donations to the um, uh, food bank at, at uh, Christmas. And we're doing one this current month because of the uh, current emergency. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one to get right. I mean, I go back to the thing about the, the Trinity Centre, which is a, a voluntary organisation funded initially but uh, by the local churches, but I, I just get nervous if all the voluntary activity is lauded, but for somehow people then start saying, "Oh well, it's much better the, the volunteers can do this than the, the statutory authorities who have public funds and ought to be doing it." Yeah, and I think that definitely reflects my concern as well, which is that voluntary help. Is sort of substituting for a hollowed out public sector and when people rely on the generosity of others in order to eat you know it's a very worrying situation yeah this has always been my concern it's a very difficult balance to get right one i'm all for encouraging volunteers but there are things that basic um, public services ought to be funded properly in my view by the um, public authorities yeah uh, one idea which I wanted to throw at you, and you've talked a lot about sort of about housing, and you mentioned social housing and, um, you know, and hugely unaffordable housing in Winchester. And some people have talked about this, is the idea of, of requisitioning empty homes. Uh, I think there's sort of a moral case here, which is that, you know, why should people be sleeping rough when uh, homes lie empty? And I want to refer specifically to figures from 2017, published by the Press Association, which showed that there were nearly 1,300 uh, vacant homes in Winchester. What do you think of this idea? I mean, would it, do you think it would work? I, I, yeah, this has always been an interesting one because I haven't seen any recent figures, but certainly when the colossal numbers of houses at any one time presumably are empty because, I know what's happening today is weird and different, but um, people moving house, um, people, houses being... Um, renovated for uh, new residents. So that must be a, a factor in any calculation about the number of empty houses at any one time. But having said that, there are houses, and I can recall over the years, houses that have been deliberately left empty for ever and a day. Uh, and I th- certainly think there are statutory powers whereby local authorities can, can do things about that. And I think perhaps they ought to. 
um, I mean, again, it gets a strange situation in a place like this where the um, housing for, I mean, not just students, but largely students. And of course, historically, for half the year in which so those houses are empty, um, yeah. because the, the university terms are so short, uh, the irony of it is, of course, purpose-built university accommodation again not now but historically it has been used for conferences and all the rest of it uh, and people coming and using them but the houses uh, again the, the student houses on Stanmore um, are empty for half the year uh, which does seem to me a, an extraordinary waste I don't know what the answer to that is you can't you can't sort of uh, force the the landlords to use of half the year for other people, it just wouldn't work. But it just, it just symptomatic really of the problem. Mm. I, in the long term, are you worried that um, a few months down the line from this crisis, um, the government will sort of be reintroducing various austerity measures as they did um, in the years following the, the financial crisis? Yeah, that is a, that is the huge worry, of course. And the, the, I mean, the, the, cost of what is currently happening uh, is hard to imagine in the long term what it's how it's going to pan out but the idea that in six months time or whenever it will be that um, it could be longer than that I suppose that the government will suddenly realize uh, that you know, they've got through this immediate problem they can go back to their sort of a typical Tory philosophy about uh, reducing government as they would see it and, and um, therefore reducing expenditure on all the valuable things that in, a, in an ironic way are happening at the moment but certainly the the, the impact on the economy is it hard to fathom I'm, I'm no economist but the idea that um, we can go months on end without um, uh, most uh, commercial industrial activity building activity actually happening and then come out at the other end without serious consequences i mean i think with pub public funding of so many services is going to be even more necessary at the end of this rather than now uh, if i could give you ultimate power over winchester uh, over winchester city council what would the first three things you would do be to to solve this crisis to, to help vulnerable people to solve the housing crisis that we have locally well I think, first of all, one would have to ensure that one could fund doing what I would want to do. And I'm, I'm out of date, to be fair, on how uh, local authorities can currently raise money. If you, uh, had, for... if you, had, if you had infinite money, I suppose. Oh, I see. Well, certainly the first thing I would do is to ensure that housing was a, a serious main priority. On the sites, I mean, there are sites in the middle of the town which were always intended to be housing, local council housing, and have been used for car parking forever and a day. And there's a constant sort of reiteration, oh yes, well, yeah, finally, yes, that site won't be a car park anymore. But I don't see any need personally for all the car parks in the middle of the town. And I think large numbers of them could be turned into housing, not exactly tomorrow, but very soon. Uh, and I, I mean, that's always been, a, a priority of mine for decades and, and I think that ought to be the first thing that happens 
I'm totally unconvinced, particularly now in view of the, the current crisis, about the need for massive new shopping or offices in the town. Uh, and I think that whole policy needs drastically reviewing. That was what they were talking about with the, uh, with the Winchester station approach, wasn't it? That they're going to create loads well, of new office space. Oh, indeed. I mean, I've been opposed to that from the beginning because it, it is totally inappropriate there. And it would be, I mean, up and down that railway line between here and London, there are grisly office developments on the edge of the railway at Basingstoke and Woking, you name it. Uh, and however much they tart it up, it, the Winchester situation would be exactly the same. And I, I just don't think that that sort of development is a priority at all. Thank you very much for listening to that conversation. I enjoyed it quite a lot, and we covered quite a bit as well. And I'll briefly outline some of my impressions. We talked a bit about local government funding, and actually today there was an article in the Hampshire Chronicle which revealed that the council is currently projected to run a £12 million deficit, in part a lot of their income has been uh, reduced, particularly from parking. The government has given, since this crisis started, about £3 billion overall to local authorities, but the Local Government Association has said that councils will need about £10 billion more overall. Equally, there's an obvious counter-argument to that, which is that councils are spending too much anyway, that they're inefficient and that their budgets need reining in, that they need financial pressure so as not to become bloated and bureaucratic. But I don't think that argument holds water in this case for two reasons. First of all, before the government provided all of this funding, they gave councils the reassurance that they would provide whatever funded the councils needed in order to fulfil these new statutory obligations whether that was the Everyone In scheme or some of the other uh, new, requ new requirements for councils which have come out of this crisis. So the government gave local councils this reassurance. But the second reason is that over the last 10 years we've seen some really significant cuts to local authority budgets, even as there are many more statutory obligations, particularly in the 2017 Homelessness Reduction Act. So councils are being expected to do more on less. But in this interview, uh, Patrick also talked about voluntary organisations and the role that they play in providing services to the community. With regards to recent legislation and the increased role of these voluntary organisations in providing services, I think there are quite clearly some advantages. They allow more innovation, new ideas, fresh thinking into care provision, and they also allow people in the community to get involved in helping others. But I also think that when people use these voluntary organisations more, that isn't really a cause for celebration, because at the end of the day it means that people need help. And although we've seen the community step in, actually the nature of the support is somewhat arbitrary and not universal. Also, there's a more fundamental question 
about who should provide public services. Should charities replace the state in providing healthcare? Or should the fire service be dependent on how many donations it gets from the local community? So there are certainly some quite significant problems, although these are matched by some of the advantages of with voluntary organisations, which I will certainly explore in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode of the Moose and Spade podcast. I really enjoyed talking to Patrick. Please like this episode and share it on social media all over the internet. And thank you very much for listening.